Tonight's scripture reading will be Matthew 19, 25 and 26. Matthew 19, 25 and 26. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. a few things before we get into the sermon tonight. Uh, number one, uh, Jeff Morris wanted us to be praying for his mother. Uh, he mentioned this afternoon receiving a call from her. And she's having some issues with one of her legs, and Jeff requested specifically that we would pray for his mother, Jean. And so uh, please add Jean to your prayer list. I want you also to be praying for Mike. Uh, Mike is away. He was driving this afternoon down to San Marcos. And he will be in his element for the next few days uh, at Focal Point. It's a preacher's workshop, but open to uh, many members of the church. It's a very large lectureship now, and uh, he's looking forward to being there. I believe David was going to come over and spend some time with him as well. And so that's going to be a very good thing, but uh, be praying for them as they're away from us. And, uh, and then tomorrow night, Mike mentioned so, so well in his sermon this morning on uh, Reach tomorrow night, but I do want to say specifically that one of the things we'd like to do, and he mentioned spring cleaning, and we're going to spend some time in the auditorium and, and branch out from there. But if you have a vacuum cleaner and you'd like to spend some time cleaning around the building, specifically that would be something we could use uh, to do so. And so I just wanted to make that, uh, make that announcement before we get into our study tonight as well. You have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 19, and I want you to be thinking with me about the question that was asked. How pointed it is, how direct the question is that Jesus is asked by his apostles, and how profound the question is. How pointed and how profound, who then can be saved? I want you to think about that tonight within the context of Matthew 19, and expanding out from there, thinking about the context of Matthew itself, and that being found even within the New Testament, who then can be saved? What a question that is asked there, and what a, what a response that Jesus gives. And I want to spend some time dealing with this context, and then something very pointedly tonight, as we ask the question, who then can be saved? As you know, the book of Matthew was written by the apostle of Jesus, and Matthew's point through the apostle is to show us that Jesus is the king. And he is going to spend a great deal of time dealing with Jesus as the king, and therefore... Jesus and his kingdom. He's going to spend a great deal of time dealing with the kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 19, you're going to find that Jesus is speaking of the kingdom. Now, I want you to keep in mind that in Matthew 19, the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to, to leave Galilee in verse number 1, and he is going to enter into Judea, and he's going to stay at this time beyond the Jordan River, but he's dropped himself south with the apostles from Galilee, he has come down, and Jesus knows what nobody else does, and that is, in a short time, he's going to die on the cross. We're nearing the cross in Matthew chapter 19. He has dropped down south, he is in Judea, and he is knowing what is awaiting him there. And so in the context of Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is going to deal with several different subjects. You can begin reading with me or looking with me in Matthew chapter 19. And there he is in Judea beyond the Jordan River. He knows that he's about to die, but the Jews don't know how close he is. 
They're wanting to corner him. They're wanting to see him put to death, but they don't know how close he is. Well, here in Matthew chapter 19, one of the Pharisees, a leader of the Jews, comes to Jesus and asks him a question concerning marriage and divorce. And we see the question in verse number three. They were testing him and said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Tonight, we're not going to camp out in Matthew 19, verses 1 through 10. It's not the purpose. But I want you to get the context. I want you to understand that in response to that question, Jesus takes them all the way back to the beginning. And he says, don't you know that he who made them, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? How many genders are there? There are two. Made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And what God has put together, let not man put asunder. Let man not take apart. That's what marriage is in the eyes of God. How often we ask our young kids in Pew Packers, what's God's plan for marriage? What is God's design for marriage? And the answer is, one man, one woman for life. That comes right out of Scripture. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. They're no longer two, but they're one flesh. Man is not to put this apart, what God has joined together. And so in verse number seven, another question. Why then did Moses allow or permit a certificate of divorce? And Jesus says, because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses allowed that. But from the beginning, that was never the idea. That was never the plan. And he talks about the sanctity of marriage. He says, verse number nine, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced also commits adultery. And so he talks there about the sanctity of marriage. And this is the context where this pointed question is going to be asked later on. But he's talking really about marriage. But maybe in a greater sense, we could say he's talking about sexuality. Look at verse 11. But he said this to them. All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Do you know that after Jesus talked about the reason, that the, the one way that you can have a divorce and be okay in the eyes of God... Do you not see in verse number 10 that the apostle said, boy, if that's the case, I think it would be better for no one to get married. It is not up to us to water down what the Lord says in verse number 9. It's up to us to believe it and practice it and share it and help others to understand what God has said regarding marriage and divorce and remarriage. The apostles got the magnitude of what Jesus was saying. If that's the case, Maybe it would be better for a man not to marry. That sounds hard, Jesus. That sounds difficult, what you're saying. What you're saying is that one man has to be committed to one woman for life. Yeah, that's the plan. That sounds hard. What you're saying is that you can't have sexual relations outside of the bonds of marriage? Yes, that's what Jesus is saying. The apostles say that sounds hard. And so Jesus goes on and says what he does, what we read in verses 11 and 12. And there in verse number 12, he says, listen, there are some who have made themselves eunuchs, those who have been celibate, 
those who are, are not going to have sexual relations with others. There are those who have made them this way. Some were born this way from their mother's womb. Some are born sterile. Some are born unable to, uh, to have these kinds of relations. They're born that way from their mother's womb. And some have been made that way by men. And you go back to ancient cultures and you go back and read your Old Testament and you read about kings who had eunuchs in their court and the eunuchs spent time around the wives and the concubines. And the king would go and he would have them castrated. He would make them eunuchs. And he'd say, if you're going to be here on my wives and my women, you're not going to be able to do anything with them. And so some have been made eunuchs by men. And then Jesus says, some have made themselves eunuchs of their own choice. They've decided to be celibate. They've decided to live single lives. And Jesus is not looking down on that in any way, shape, or form. Jesus is simply saying that some have made that choice. They have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. They have made the choice that they will just remain single or they will remain celibate, that they have perhaps uh, not been able to remarry, and so they're just going to stay celibate for the rest of their lives for the sake of the kingdom. Because they put the kingdom above everything else. That's why apostles say that sounds difficult. That sounds hard. But you go on. And in the next verses, we're just looking at context here. In the next verses, verses 13 through 15, the Bible says that little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is what? The kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and he departed from there. Jesus says we need to have the character like little children. Humility. Innocence. When you picture a little child, don't you picture those things? And Jesus says that's the kind of character that we need to possess if we're going to be members of the kingdom. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are going to be in my body, my church, that's the kind of character they need to possess. And we might say, that's not easy. That's difficult. It's hard to behave ourselves as adults, as little children in their innocence and humility. Jesus says we not ever need outgrow that. We don't need to outgrow that quality in our lives. And then as you go on in Matthew chapter 19, perhaps most familiar to us is this conversation in Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22, where a man comes running up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus sums up the old law and he tells him, These are the things that you need to be obeying. And the man says, That's great. I've been doing that from childhood. I've been doing that my whole life. What else do I need to do? And Jesus says, You go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And the young man, the Bible says, went away sorrowful. Isn't that amazing that he went away sorrowful? And the Bible says, Why? In verse 22, it says, because he had great possessions. He walked away sorrowful from Jesus, for he had great possessions. And then, this is what Jesus says following that in verse 23. Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It is hard 
when it comes to the kingdom and wealth, it is hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It is hard. It is hard. It is hard. That's Matthew chapter 19. What Jesus is saying in all of these instances is, I'm not telling you anything that's easy. I'm telling you this is difficult. You need to check your priorities. Now going beyond verse 26, which we'll circle back to in just a moment, we drop down to verse 27. Peter answered and said to him, See, we, the apostles, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left, catch it, everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Peter speaks up. That doesn't surprise you, does it? Peter's the one who speaks up. Lord, we have left everything for you. You know, that, that, that young rich man, he wasn't willing to leave everything and follow you. But Peter, or Jesus, Peter is saying, we have left everything for you. What's in it for us? What, what do we get from that? We have willingly given up everything in our lives to follow you. Is this really going to work out for us? Is it really going to be okay? What if I make Jesus my priority? Does that work out? Is this really going to be okay? I want you to think with me about what Jesus goes on to say in verse 29. Where Jesus talks about leaving everyone and everything in order to be a follower of his. You see, Jesus doesn't say that's going to be an easy thing to do. In fact, the whole chapter has been building up to the fact that becoming a child of God is not always an easy thing to do. It's not easy for everybody. It's not easy in every circumstance. In fact, there are many and many circumstances where it is very difficult for one to become a child of God. That there is a lot that goes into it that some of us sitting here tonight cannot relate to, and then there are others who very much can relate to what we're talking about. Jesus says, I do want you to know how it works out. I do want you to know that if you'll prioritize me and you will put me first, I want you to know that when it comes to being born again, the regeneration, Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. When it comes to becoming a Christian, when it comes to obeying the gospel, when it comes to, to being born again and being a child of God, Jesus is saying, I want you to know that there are privileges and benefits beyond what you can imagine waiting for you who are children of God. I want you to know, he says in verse number 29, that you will inherit eternal life. I'm telling you this is going to be hard. He always said it was going to be hard. 
In Matthew chapter 7, isn't that true? Verses 13 and 14. Jesus said there's a wide road and many are on it and it leads to destruction because narrow is the road and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus never said it was going to be easy. He said it was going to be hard. He said it was going to cost something. And that's why Paul would say in Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, even as he's admonishing and encouraging brethren, he's, he's helping them to remain faithful. But he says through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Listen, it's just not going to be easy. That's what he's saying. But I want you to know what, it, what comes of this. I want you to know the benefit that is there for those who will choose to become children of God. For those who will obey the gospel. And that's a long introduction tonight. But this is what I want you to think with me. As you conduct Bible studies with your friends and your neighbors. You go out and you try to reach your friends who are outside of the Lord. There's a question that I find comes up, and I want to address it tonight. I want you to think about it with me. And if you've not yet encountered this particular question, you just buckle up. You study with enough people, and I pray that you will. We'll find this question come up. And the question is this. What about my family? You ever sat across the table from somebody? And you've helped them to understand what the Bible says they must do in order to be saved. And they understand exactly what that entails. They understand what they must do in order to be right with God. But they look you in the eyes and they say something like, If I do this, if I go through with this, if I choose to be baptized into Christ, what am I saying about my family who are outside of Christ? Adam, don't you know, we've had it said, don't you know that all of my family are a part of XYZ denomination? They're all a part of that. And if I choose to become a Christian, what am I saying to them? How's this going to go? Or they'll hit you right in the heart. And they'll say something like, you never met my grandpa, but he was one of the best people I ever knew. And he died a few years ago. What about him? What do you say to that? What's the response to that? It'll hit you right in your heart. It, it, some of you sitting in this room tonight, you ask that question to somebody across the table from you. I want you to think about that with me tonight. And how can we help our friends to answer this question? What about my family? And the answer is, and you know this is right. The answer is you cannot make it about you. They can't be looking at you. You tell me what's going to happen. You tell me. You tell me, you know, where this leads. You tell me what I'm supposed to do. I don't want them to look at me they must, they must, they must, and you know it's right, they must look to Jesus. This is where they have to get. And if you can't help them to see the cross, then they, they'll never obey the gospel. 
you can't let this be about you and what you're teaching them and, and what I say, and this is my plan. This is never about me. We have to help them see Jesus. This is the answer. This is what we must do. We have to help them see the cross. And so you, you show them a few of these verses. And I hope you'll jot these down. And I hope you'll give this some prayerful consideration. And I hope you'll be able to refer back to some of these verses. And maybe they will help you when you encounter this kind of situation. Look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2. You see, these verses are going to be pretty familiar to a lot of you sitting here tonight. But they may not be as familiar to those that you study with in the future. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews encourages his readers to do. Look to Jesus, he says. This is exactly what you have to do, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Look to Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Let me just say this, that when, when that question is posed, what about my grandpa? What about my grandma? What about my aunt? What about my loved one who's passed on? Do not ever put yourself in the judgment seat. Be careful to do that. Do not put yourself in the judgment seat. I always try to respond in a way that says, I will happily leave that in the hands of God. And I trust that God will always do what is right. That's what we need to say. You leave that in the hands of God. I'm sure your grandpa was a wonderful man. I'm sure he did wonderful things. And I'm so sorry about your loss that you've experienced. But let's please leave that in the hand of God, the righteous judge. And trust that he will do what is right. But this is about you and what you need to be doing. And I encourage them to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who went to the cross and died for their sin. I would also take them to chapter 4 in the book of Hebrews. I would take them to Hebrews chapter 4. Again, a familiar verse to many of us sitting in this room tonight. But in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15, we've got the high priest mentioned in 14 and again in verse 15. And the Bible says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And when I'm sitting across the table, I circle the words, all points. When you obeyed the gospel, who did you call? I mean, if not everybody was there when you obeyed the gospel, who did you call? In other words, who was excited? Who did you know was going to be excited on the other end of that line to hear that you had become a Christian? You remember the phone calls? I was baptized at Bible camp. My first phone call was home. I called my parents. And I knew, even though it was late at night, I knew that they were going to be excited when they answered the phone. They were going to be thrilled to get that phone call. Some of you didn't have parents to call who were going to be excited. Do you know Julie was the first person I ever baptized? 
and she didn't call home. She didn't call home because she knew a home they were not going to be thrilled. That they were not going to be excited about that decision. That they were going to question her and they were going to be fairly upset about that decision. So when I'm sitting across the table from somebody and they say, Adam, you don't understand. You don't understand where I'm sitting. You don't understand my situation. You know what I can say? You're right. I don't. I've never sat in those shoes. My parents were thrilled. There were some grandparents I didn't call because they weren't going to be thrilled. I've got a whole side of the family that, that are outside of the Lord's church. They weren't going to be happy. But I knew there were people I could call and they would be happy. There are some people who are sitting across the table from you who don't have that. And so they say, Adam, you don't understand my situation. I say, you're right, I don't understand your situation. But in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 tells me that Jesus does. Jesus does know your situation. That he has been in those shoes. He was in all points tempted as we are. He felt the pressure. He knows what it's like to sit in that seat. And I need them to know that Jesus knows how they feel. I'm not trying to point them to me. I'm trying to get them to him. And that's what this is about. And so these verses are important. These are ways that we can help them. Do you know that Jesus was tempted by his family? Yeah, you do. You do, but they may not. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 57, this may be wonderful news to somebody that you're sitting across the table with. They might not know this about our Lord. They may not know that he experienced this. And so you help them. In Matthew 13 and verse number 57, the Bible says that they were offended at him. Do you know where Jesus is? He's in his hometown. And the Bible says they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Here he is in his own country and they're offended at him and they don't believe him. They, you're, not, you're not the one. You're not the Christ. You're certainly not the Messiah. You're Joseph's boy. We know you. We know your whole family. We watched you grow up. You're not the guy. You're not the Christ. And they were offended at him, the Bible says. But Jesus says a prophet is without honor in his own country. And he goes on to say, even in his own house. Even in his own house. So what do we know about the family of, of Jesus? Well, what we know is, I hope you jot this down, what we know is John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. And you know this, but they may not. In John chapter 7, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly if, catch it, if, you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. You can picture it, can't you? It's not that difficult to picture how the conversation went with Jesus and with his brothers. He's hanging out up in Galilee. He's hanging up there near home in, in Nazareth. He's, he's up north. 
And his brothers come and say, what are you doing up here, Jesus? All of your followers, all those Jews down there, all those people are going to be down in Jerusalem. You need to go ahead and get down there for this feast. Listen, if you really are who you say you are, if you really can do the works that you say you can do, then you need to go and show yourself openly to all these people. You hear my tone? Can't you kind of hear that in the brothers? You kind of get it? You know what they're saying to him? We don't believe who you are either. We don't believe who you say you are either. And if you get down there and, and all those people start following you and then there are people who, who, who believe in you, you know who won't? Us. We don't believe you. We don't believe a thing that you're saying about yourself. We do not trust that you are the Christ. We don't believe for a minute that you're the Son of God. We don't believe who you say you are. Doesn't that sound like a family rejection? And Jesus understands being on the other side of the table, doesn't he? Jesus was rejected even by those in his own home. Jesus, we're going to choose a side, and guess what? It's not going to be yours. That's what his brothers are saying. We're not going to be on your side. We are not going with you. And so those on the other side of the table might be looking at Adam, and they're saying, Adam, you just don't understand. You don't understand me. And again, with confidence, I say, you're right. I don't. I've never been there. I've not been in those shoes. But this isn't about me. It's about him. So, I give them just a little bit more. Just a little bit more to consider. How about 1 Peter 2 and verse 21? Peter's writing to Christians who are suffering for the cause of Christ. Peter's writing to Christians who are going through very difficult times. Oh, isn't that amazing? Difficulty in the kingdom. He never promised it would be easy, did he? In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 21, Peter says to Christians, For to this you were called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And I sit across the table in a very compassionate and loving way. I say, look, Jesus suffered for you. And he says, it might be, it might be, a, a, it might be true that you have to suffer for him. It might be true. He's left us an example that we should follow in his steps. So let me ask you a question. I say to the one sitting across the table from me. Did Jesus give up? Did Jesus allow the pressure that he felt from his family? Did he feel that pressure enough to, to walk away from, from his father? Did he allow that pressure to allow him to distance himself from God? He suffered in all ways that you and I are going to suffer. He was tempted in all points as we are. But he remained faithful, didn't he? He never left God. He wanted to go to heaven. He wanted to get back there. He wanted to be with his father. And we know his family. Look, this can be eye-opening to people. They may not know this. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55, they may not know that this verse is here. And they may not know. You know, but they may not know how this turns out. In Matthew chapter 13, in verse number 55, we get some names, don't we? Where again, here in Nazareth, in that same context, we were there and we read verse 57, but now we back up to verse 55. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, his mother, uh, is not his mother called Mary? And his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, 
and Judas? You look to them across the table and you say, did you know that the Bible gives us the names of some of Jesus' siblings? And some, they, they haven't even really thought about the fact that Jesus had brothers and sisters. They, they haven't really even thought about the fact that Jesus had a, a family. They know he's not married or had children of his own, but they're not thinking about that he has a family here on earth. He had Joseph. This is the carpenter's son. He had Mary. This is, this is Mary's boy. And then he, his brothers are listed here. And you know, but they may not, about two of those brothers, right? You know about these brothers, but they may not. And so you show them this and you help them to see exactly what the Bible says about James and Jude. Two of those brothers named specifically in Matthew 13, verse 55, are James and Jude. Judas, Jude being short for Judas, or another way to, to name that. And you go and you tell them about these two brothers of Jesus. Now remember, we already saw in John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, especially verse 5, that his brothers did not believe in him. And here we know that his brothers do not believe in him. But then we know the rest of the story. And so you tell them about James. And you go to 1 Corinthians 15 and you say that, that after Jesus was raised from the dead that he showed himself to his brother James. And you go on, and maybe you can show them Acts chapter 15, that Jerusalem council on circumcision. And you can say that it was James. It was this James, the brother of Jesus. It was this James who stood up. And when he stood up and he began to speak, everybody else got quiet because they're looking at James and they're listening to what James has to say. And you can go over to Galatians chapter 2 and you can see that James was a pillar in the early church. A pillar in the church of Christ. He did not believe in Jesus. But he later would. In fact, in James 1 and verse 1, he would call himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And then you think about Jude. Another brother who one time did not believe in Jesus. But then Jude calls himself the very same thing in Jude 1, verse 1. A bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. These are things to write down. These are things to give thought to. These are ways that might be helpful to someone who is really struggling whether or not to become a Christian because of their family. It's all about the cross. It's all about helping them get to Jesus in Matthew 19, I pointed out circumstances of difficulty. This sounds hard. This sounds hard. It would be better for a man not to marry. It would be difficult for a rich man to get to heaven. Jesus says that's going to be hard. And the disciples then ask that pointed and profound question. If all of this is the case, who then can be saved? And so we'll go back to where we started. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 26, Jesus says, with man, this is not possible. But with God, all things are possible. Brethren, that's where we need to help people get. Listen, I, I can't even begin to put myself in your shoes. I can't even begin to understand where you are. 
I can't even begin to understand what's going to happen in your life when you become a child of God and, and what might happen with your family. I can't even begin to, to understand, you know, all of that. But what I do know is that I don't have to understand because God does understand. I may not understand, but I know that with God, it's possible. I know that with God, this is going to work out and it's going to work out for the best. And so I would ask them this question. Listen, Jesus allowed no one in his family to stop him from doing the will of God. He, he did not allow that pressure in his home to stop him from being faithful to God. Now, sitting across the table from someone, you ask, what if you choose to be faithful to God? What if you choose to go to the cross and to become a Christian, to become a follower of God? Would you think about, and now you have to be thinking about, who is this person and what family do they have? Listen to me. You're sitting across the table from a grandpa. And you say, what if you become a Christian? Who in your family can then you help become a Christian? You've got children and grandchildren? What if you choose to become a Christian? Can you help them to become a Christian? You're sitting across the table from a wife and you say, if you become a child of God, if you become a Christian, if you go to the cross and you become a child of God, can you help your husband? What about your kids? And you talk about those. Well, I ask the question, what if Jesus had allowed his family to pressure him to be unfaithful to God? Do James and Jude later become Christians? No. But because of what Jesus did and his remaining faithful to God, his brothers came along. Who in your family can you help to become a Christian? You see, they've got to see the cross. They've got to get to Jesus. That's what they need to understand. Jesus remained faithful and he was able to help his brothers become faithful. Who knows what your decision, where it could lead and what God can do for you in your life. Because with God, you need to cast out doubt. I go back to where we started tonight in Matthew 19. And what Jesus is saying the apostles, they are pouring themselves out. It's a very profound question. Who then can be saved? Jesus, is this going to work out? If I become a, if we've left everything and we've been following you, is that going to be okay? Is this going to work out for us in the end? And Jesus is saying, yes, it's not possible with you, but it is with my Father. You stay with Him and I will see you through to the end. You will inherit eternal life. So do not doubt, as you're studying with somebody, listen to me. Do not doubt the power of God to provide strength from sexual sin. In this day and time, it is not uncommon, is it, to study with someone who's in an unscriptural marriage, so to speak. Or to speak to a couple who've never been married, but they're living together. Or to speak to somebody who's dealing with sexual sin one way or another. It's not uncommon to, to see that in this day and time. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you'll stay with me and if you'll stay with God, with God, it is possible to overcome even sexual sin. It is possible if you stay with God, he will give you the strength to overcome that kind of temptation. With God, he will provide you the strength that you need to change your character. There are people that we see walking by on the streets and there are people in our neighborhoods and they live uh, such... 
worldly lives and will say that they'll never obey the gospel. I would never be able to reach them. They would never be interested in a Bible study. They would never become a Christian. They're too attached to Satan. They're too attached to the world. Never doubt the power of God, the strength that he can provide to change character. I think Mike mentioned something about that this morning in the meanest man in Texas, didn't he? If the meanest man in Texas can change his character, I think God has the ability to help anybody change their character. So we need to leave that in the hands of God. We need not to doubt God and the work that he can do in the lives of others. That, that person is way too rich. That person has way too many earthly possessions. They would never turn to God. They don't want anything to do with God. Well, Jesus says, listen, it's hard to reach people who are rich, but he did not say it's impossible. God can provide the power to change priority in times of wealth. But my friends, please, never doubt the power of God to help someone be saved. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1 and verse 16. Oh, they'll, they'll never become a Christian because... Their whole family for generations has all been a part of whatever. Don't you doubt the power of God to save? I'm not saying that this is easy. In fact, I'm saying it's quite hard. And it'll hit you in your heart. These are hard things. With compassion and with love. I definitely want to help somebody not see me, but to see the cross. I hope tonight maybe there's something there that will help you in future studies with your loved ones. Maybe this is an issue that you haven't faced, but maybe I, you will. And I hope this will be some way to help you as we think about Jesus and his struggles in his own life. Isn't it wonderful to have a Savior who can relate to you and me? He put on flesh, he came down, and he died on the cross for our sins. And he did so, so that you and I can be saved. And tonight, my friend, if you find yourself outside of Christ, I don't know tonight what might be holding you back. I don't know where you are, but I do know that you need to get into Christ and you need to go running. I, you need to get there as quickly as you can. If you're outside of Christ in a lost condition, you need to find yourself in him tonight. You need to be a member of his body, of his church. And the Bible tells us exactly how to do that. The Bible says that we need to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God with a willingness to repent of sin in our lives, a willingness to confess our faith with our mouth that the Lord is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then we must be baptized in water for the forgiveness of our sins, meeting the blood of Christ and having them forgiven, washed away, never to be held against us again. I want to reach people with the gospel. They'll never be more lost than lost. I want to help them to be saved, don't you? I want to help them to see Jesus. That's what it needs to come down to. Tonight, again, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, perhaps a child of God and something is amiss in your life or, or you've had some difficulties and struggles and we can pray with you, that's all we want to do. If we can help in any way, then won't you please come now while together we stand and while we sing.